excited for you to get to know my friend Sean. Sean and I have been working together for about a year next door at FCC. Uh, it's been such a joy to work with him. He is the yin to my yang. We balance each other out. Uh, he's an incredible person. I'm so excited for you to get to know today. So uh, enjoy. Uh, Sean, uh, come on up and uh, just know that Sean is an incredible man, uh, incredible mind, and more than anything, just a huge heart. Loves God, loves people. Uh, so without further ado, please welcome to the stage Pastor Sean Wisman. I've never been doubly introduced. It's a new standard. Uh, man, that made me weepy, and I'm a weepy guy, so look out. I'm sorry. Um, So last week, uh, I had the honor and blessing of hearing, y'all call Trey, Trey, Dr. Trey Clark. Um, there was, he taught on Psalm 139. I know he taught here and he taught at uh, FCC as well. Um, and he spoke about bringing our whole selves before God. Um, that's a pretty radical message. I think, uh, how often do we get to like, bring our whole selves before people? How often do we get to um, come into a space where there's no sort of, um, like we're always trying to protect ourselves? A uh, pastor, several years ago, right before I started church planting, he told me that there's only a few things that you can see from space on earth. And one of those is the Great Wall of China. And there's something about that that really stuck with me, is that we're really good at building walls. And so Trey's message last week um, was an invitation for us to really explore what does it mean to be our whole selves before God. Um, and not just, not just our whole selves, but to dwell fully into that. So it's, it's one thing to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust that I can be myself before but it's a whole other thing to like pull up a beanbag cushion chair and just rest in that and live fully into that, um, where you can abide in the goodness of that relationship. And so uh, my hope is that it would, I provided you peace this past week. Uh, if you haven't listened to the message, I guess I'm giving you a good preview and you can listen. John just do the, did the podcast on the new website. Uh, so you, I know you can check it out there, but I strongly encourage you uh, in that. Part of the gift that uh, you gave me, Trey, so I'm going to speak directly to you, is you uh, gave me permission to come. Gosh, I'm so weepy. Um, I did not anticipate that, and I usually do. Um, you gave me permission to come here as my whole self. Uh, maybe you've seen me lurking around like a weird guy because I work over there, so he's like, Creeping around, like, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, who, who is Sean? Uh, who, what does he bring? Um, and so, where I don't, I had a lot of anxiety, I'll put it that way. Um, because you don't know me and I don't know you. And there's something very daunting about speaking to people that you don't know about even truths that we may all, all hold as true. It's daunting. Um, because we, we don't have that interconnectedness. But John has assured me that this is a safe space. Um, and so I'm going to lean into that. I'm pulling up my lean bag cushion 
and uh, we're resting in that. Um, so I'm bringing my full self to you, and my hope is, is that you can bring your full self to me, and we can uh, hold that space together. Um, and so what does that look like for us today? Uh, I want to introduce you or welcome you to my existential crisis. Um, how many of you know what an existential crisis is? I had to look it up. You hear it in movies all the time, right? Like existential crisis. What does that actually mean? I found a definition by Alexia Ronzero that was really amazing. Um, she said, ensemble of feelings and questions we have uh, regarding the meaning and purpose of life. I love that word ensemble. Um, that an existential crisis isn't just linear, is it? It's all of these things all at once. And you may be going about your ordinary life, and then all of a sudden you get hit. And you're like, wait, what am I even doing with my life? Maybe it's because I just turned 40, so maybe that's like super pressing on my mind. Um, but recently, uh, John, and we read from that this morning, uh, he read in FCC the benediction from Romans 8. Uh, 38 through 39. Um, and I was listening to it. I'm going to read it again just for the benefit of hearing it. Uh, there's this beautiful verse that's written about what it means to be more than conquerors and all through persecution. Those are so invaluable, so amazing. And then Paul says something that is just ridiculous in my mind. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any else, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he read that, and I was sitting there, and two thoughts passed by my mind. One was, okay. And then two was, this is for restoration. Um, and I've been sitting with that, because as much as it is for you, I think it's for me as well. Um, because my brain stalled out at, for I am convinced. What are you convinced of? Like really, really sure of. That when you wake up in the morning, you know it to be true. When you face trials, you know it's sure. Like what are you convinced of? What are you sure of? That's my existential crisis that I've been walking. Like, what am I actually sure about? And I don't know if you can relate to this, but my first personal observation, I'll read it to you. The things that I was convinced of, my failings, my shame, my sorrows, my trauma, my scars, and my open wounds. I was like, I'm sure of that. I'm convinced of that. And then I was like, but... Ugh, I don't like that, right? Um, but, and then I started sitting with that more. Actually, I'm, I'm not convinced of those things. That actually, those are the things that I hear. And maybe you can relate to that too. Sometimes the things that we hear, we morph into these crises that we're holding. And they are realities and they are real for our lives, but maybe they're not necessarily what I'm convinced of because I'm convinced that there's hope, too. So things are different. So, so then I'm back to this question of, what am I convinced of? What am I sure of? I ask you, 
What do you hold as unbreakable? What do you hold that can withstand the battering of life? And I know one of the things I absolutely love, thank you for the gift, I love seeing your family, you three singing up there as well, is whether you're young or you're further down the line of life, uh, newsflash, life is hard. <laughs> um, and uh, I kept on thinking that life is the worst and I'm the worst at life. Um, and that's not like, oh, poor Sean, like I'm up here, I like Eeyore, and so that way you can make me feel better. But I just wonder if many of us are here because we feel that way sometimes. And we kind of don't know where to go from there. And so we hold all of these questions, and we hold more questions than we do answers. Um, therapy's also neat, too, so like, I'll just throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> it's good when you have negative self-talk to talk to somebody about it. I recommend it. Um, so here's the part where I tell you a little bit about my journey and why I've been having this existential crisis of what am I sure about. My hope is, is that you'll get to learn a little bit about me, but at the same time, I want to say that I want to get to know you. I'm, I'm always here. I mean, it's a gift to say that I'm, what did he say, I'm his yang? He's the yin and I'm the yang? I don't know. Um, but it's a gift to be that, and I'm here, and I get to share space, and I get to hear about all of the beautiful things that God is doing in restoration and in your hearts. Uh, so I want to share a little bit about my journey and um, why answering this question is so important to me. Um, recently, I had to write uh, a religious autobiography uh, because I'm entering, trying to enter into a program, and it's at a Christian school. And so they're like, well, tell us about your life with Jesus. And so I thought, actually, what a gift, because I can just read that, which was like saving time, all right? Uh, thank you, Jesus. Um, so I will read that to you, and maybe uh, you can close your eyes or however you listen best. Uh, I invite you into a little bit of my story. Um, I do not remember the day or the year, but I remember how I looked. I had just stepped out of the shower and stood under a red heat lamp with the lights off. As I stared in the mirror dripping wet, I saw a person I did not recognize. My head was shaven, my cheekbones jutting out as though they could cut glass. My ribs protruded from me like they would on an emaciated cadaver. My pupils were unevenly dilated from the heroin-laced ecstasy I had taken hours before. I was as dead as a living person could be. That night hurtled me toward the open arms of Jesus. I did not know it yet because I was completely disinterested in God. However, on March 23, 2001, his grace became real to me as I stood in a hotel bathroom shower the day after graduating from a drug treatment program. I thought, how sweet his embrace is, and how could I not say yes? How could I not want his life instead of my own? Now fast forward, since 2001, I have found myself all over the place, like a nomad without roots. I've moved more times than I care to count. I married at a young age. I lived in Peru for several years. 
I had a baby. I lost a second baby and nearly lost my wife. I moved to San Bernardino to start a community and a church plant. And then I closed that church plant. I had a second child, moved multiple times again, pastored a Lutheran congregation for nearly six years. I finished my MA at Fuller Theological Seminary. I've gone through the pain of a divorce due to the unhealthy decisions of my spouse. I went through therapy, anxiety medication, starting all over again. And then I got to tail end that with the pandemic, which we all, I'm sure, love. Finding a new sort of love, then remarriage, being a stepfather, transitioning out of a senior minister role, and rediscovering what it means to have his life on this side of so much upheaval. That's my, just part of my story. <laughs> What's your story? I think that's uh, one of the beauties of being God's church is that we all enter into this space together and we all carry a story. Some of our stories have really beautiful notes of victory and blessing and beauty, and some of us have faced some really difficult, trying times. And some of us have just been kind of in the doldrums where we just sit and we wonder what's life even about. And I don't know about you, but when you start having those bruises and you start having those pains, uh, you get tired. You get weary. You get exhausted. And you start to wonder, like, God, if you really, if you really care, what, what, what are you going to do about this? And then maybe you can morph into, what are we going to do about this? That's a faith-filled word right there. Which brings me back to my existential crisis. And it's something that I am convinced of. Um, let me ask you a question. Uh, and if you feel comfortable enough, I don't want to ever force you to do this. But how many of you have just felt like walking away? You know what I'm talking about, right? I know I have, like all arms in and feet in hokey pokey style, like, just be done. Not that I thought that it would be better that way, but it, I was just tired of whatever this was. Why haven't we walked away, though? Because we're all here, huh? If there's anything that I want to be convinced of, and that I am convinced of, is that Jesus really loves us and refuses to be apart from us. Like, I want us to sit in that. Jesus, like, what Paul is saying is, it's very easy to focus on the trials, right? Like, none of these things that you're going to face can pull you apart. But actually, what he's pointing out is that Jesus never walks away. And remember how I said all of those things that I was hearing about, like, uh, I'm this and I'm that and my shame and my trauma and all of those things. And I just needed to hear the still and quiet voice of God saying, I'm here, bud. We're good. I love you. 
It's not only that I'm convinced of that, I want to continue to be convinced of that. And this morning, I want to convince you of that. Jesus doesn't walk away. Even when we walk away, which is like, what? Like he's still there, present. Um, The other thing uh, that I'm convinced of is that God's love is so stable Insecure. And I emphasize stable and secure because life is disoriented. Like no matter what age, life can be disoriented. And we can feel like a top towards the end where we're just kind of spinning out, like we're still moving. But we've kind of lost our purpose. How do we secure that security and that stability? Um, and especially when the church i just say this, especially when the church hasn't been a safe space where you could look at it and say, this is a secure, secure place for me. Like at the end of the day, when all of the stuff that's going on in my life is going on this way, at least I can come to a church where I feel stable and secure. And sometimes we don't even have that. I'm grateful for restoration. I'm not saying that, John, he's going to watch again. Restoration is a stable and secure, and secure place. So God's love is stable and secure. So whether we're deconstructing, or reconstructing, or laying in the puddle of our tears in mourning, I'm convinced that he will endure with us, that we have a partner who weeps with us. He mourns with us, he delights in us, and he will lay there in our lowest places, we sing about in the shadow that we find him. I'm convinced of that, that he'll be there. And what Trey, and I really, at FCC, I said this last week, and I say this now, is what the gift that Trey gave us was that he shepherded us into greener pastures. And how he did that is that he gave us permission to bring all of our questions and our doubts and our worries and our fears and our anxieties to God. Um, He also gave us permission to bring the things that were pulling apart and that were burning down to start again. And the beautiful thing is, is that in the midst of all of those things, the answer that God gives us is, I will not be apart from you. Um, I've said a lot of ridiculous things in my life. That's probably the most, that's up there. (laughs) That we have a God that loves us so much that he makes it so abundantly clear, I will not be apart from you. And I don't know that this is anything profoundly life-changing in the sense of, you've heard this before, Maybe, I hope. But sometimes we need to hear it again. That's why I'm crying a lot, because I need to hear it again. You won't be apart from me? What? I have this picture uh, on my phone and in my office. I have lots of pictures, but um, uh, Titus, my youngest, he was uh, in the NICU uh, for a little while. And uh, it's very scary to have a baby in the NICU, even if it's like for ordinary stuff. Um, 
which is weird to say ordinary for the NICU. I don't know how that works, but there's some things that are less anxiety-provoking, um, but there's still all of these questions about life. And um, I remember a really beautiful moment, uh, and the nurse actually captured it for me. It was just a very organic moment. It was me holding Titus, and he had all of his like hookups and cables, and it was just me holding him so close to, his, to my chest. And he was passed out, right? Like, he was in a good place. He just had formula. And I just remember thinking, even today, you're right here. I'm with you. And like, whatever we're going to face, we'll do it together. And if that's not the Father's heart, I don't know what is. I'm right here. And I love you. And I care for you. And I'll be there. And so that's a very special moment. Um, and I like to think that God sees that for all of us as well, that he draws us close, says, I love you. Um, there's this word that I had, and I'll transition. Um, I had this anxiety right before I started, like, is this enough? But I think sometimes shorter is more than enough, because this is something that is actually we're supposed to sit with for a really long time. It's not something that we're supposed to quickly move past. Um, I wrote the word swaddled up in his love. And if you've ever swaddled a baby before, like, the key is tightness. Like, that's the key. <laughs> you want them so tight because everything else out, goes out the window as soon as they can get their arms out or their legs out. And it's, it moves from like, oh, this precious moment to like hell on earth really quickly, right? <laughs> um, and I love that image for us, is to be swaddled up in his love. Tight, enclosed, safe, and dependent. That's something that a baby has when he's or she is swaddled, is trust and dependency. I trust you. I feel safe. And then, out like a light. So, that's what I want for us, is to be swaddled up in his love. Um, I'm convinced that he won't be apart from us. So my invitation is that if you believe this is true, what does that mean for your life? Back to the existential crisis. Like, we can't escape it. It lingers. <laughs> if this is true, then what does that mean? And how does that change your life? I'm not talking about years from now. I'm talking about right now. If this is true, what are you being invited into as a result of that? Um, so I know that one of the rhythms that restoration has is communion. And we have the tables on the side. Um, and I mentioned in the long story that I wrote sharing about me and uh, that I pastored a Lutheran church for six years. And I wasn't a Lutheran, which is always fun. Um, 
One of the gifts that I've, I received from the Lutheran Church is a reimagined picture of communion. And it's one that I think I desperately needed for those six years, and I carry with me to today. Um, I'm not going to get all theological in the sense of it breaking down uh, co-substantiation. <laughs> and I even said it wrong, so there you go. Um, the thing that I needed was the reminder of God's real presence. Now, however you hold communion in the theological perspective of that, whether you see it, say it as do this in memory of me or you hold it in a tradition where God is physically present in the elements, whatever that may be, the, the reality is, is whether we're remembering or physical presence is that God's invitation is to say, I won't be apart from you. I'm with you. So as you eat these things, remember that I am with you. So that's my uh, hope and suggestion for us this morning is that if whenever you're ready and able, I guess that's how y'all do it, um, is that you would take time and reflect on that of that beautiful truth, God, you are present with me, and acknowledge that presence. And then if you feel bold this morning as you're taking communion, so what does this mean for my today? And if you give me my tomorrow, my tomorrow. Let me, uh, let me pray for us as we transition into that time. Um, God, thank you first for the generosity of restoration um, and that what John told me is true, I think is true, which is that this is a safe place. I'm so grateful for the, what you've cultivated amongst these people. Um, thank you for what you're cultivating today. Uh, God, I pray that we wouldn't rush past uh, this beautiful truth that you will never be apart from us. Um, and that as we dwell with you in the sacred place of the Eucharist um, is that we would see you and know you because you see and know us. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.